calling all hardscapers, landscapers, and outdoor living pros. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. I am so excited to announce our first ever six-day immersive hands-on outdoor living design build event in New Holland, Pennsylvania. Over the course of a week, Yes Express, Souders Hardscape Supply, and Pave Tool Innovators are going to teach you how to become downright dangerous in sales, design, installation, and equipment slash tool operation. Expert teachers will cover the installation of custom features like permeable pavers, fireplaces, stone decks, custom outdoor kitchens, water features, putting greens, and so, so much more. This event was designed specifically for growth-minded business owners and teams who want to get their hands dirty and learn from the best so they can take their businesses to new, unimaginable levels. So mark your calendar from February 20th to the 25th. Seating is limited. You can get your tickets today at OutdoorLivingMastery.com. Again, OutdoorLivingMastery.com. Oh, did I mention that we're raffling off over $20,000 in specialty tools and other profit-driving goodies at this event? You're not going to want to miss it. Let's make 2023 the most profitable year ever. Now back to the show. Welcome back on today's show. I have my my personal life and business coach on. I brought Keith, Dr. Keith Wagner on in order to speak into what it really means to be a man in, in today's society, what it means to be uh, that masculine energy in your life. And we talk about a lot of things uh, in this space. Um, and we're going to talk about saboteurs and sages. And if you don't know what that means, listen in and you're going to learn a lot about what the masculine journey is really all about. Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, I hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we're passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 25 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. And today we have a super special guest. I know I say we have special guests all oftentimes, but I actually have, uh, so this man has been such a, a huge part of my life and my success through uh, you know, business life and personal life and just growth in general. I wanted to bring him and introduce you guys to where, where I go in order to get guidance and all in my life. And he's the owner of Strategic Edge Life and Business Coaching. He has a PhD in psychology. Um, he masters in marriage and family therapy. And he also is a coach, an entrepreneur, a business strategist, and an overall badass because he's got multiple black belts in different martial arts. And this guy is just a, a plethora of amazingness. Uh, Dr. Keith Wagner, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me on, Joshua. It's been, it's been an incredible journey with you for the last what, almost four years now we've been working together that's right. and weekly calls and, and the, the growth that's happened in my life because of your guidance. And you know, the, what I love about you is you won't give me the answer. You have me search for it and find it. And then it lands within my soul. So I appreciate you making me work for it. Oh, and yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's been amazing. And just coming off an event, Keith uh, just put on an event with Harley to, uh, it's called uh, Undisputed Mastery. And uh, we just got back from that the other day and it was, you know, it's a men's event and just tons of awesomeness there to help the, uh, you know, the men there lead better, more full lives. And I'd love to, 
go deeper into this today with you, Keith, the, um, you know, the whole concept of the masculine journey and what that even means and, uh, and all that. So, but before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself, Keith, and, uh, you know, where you come from. And so we can give the listeners kind of a, uh, an idea of who they're listening to. Well, thank you, Joshua. Yeah. Um, I just consider myself a regular guy who loves people and loves uh, to serve. Um, I've had the privilege of going through some really hard things in my life. And you know, the base of all of my philosophy is we face hard things to do great things. And that's what it was about. Grew up with an alcoholic father, learned how to anticipate people and moods early on, created this heart and this, this drive inside of me to get better, to get stronger, and to help others. And so I put myself through school, uh, got a couple doctorate degrees, a master's degree, and I was privileged enough to get in front of lots and lots of fantastic men, everything from like my great grandmaster uh, and martial arts instructor, Fred Weeks, who's also a Lakotan uh, tribe elder, Mothel Pihol. And uh, you mentioned him a while ago, Tuhan Harley Elmore, uh, introduced me to Kali, Jikundo, Muay Thai. Uh, has been, you know, my brother in arms and my great friend for three decades. Uh, Tony Robbins, I uh, was able to become one of his top platinum level and line platinum uh, coaches. I traveled with him, did some great things and lots and lots of other people. And so we believe one thing is that there's 10,000 hands, what they say in Sayoc uh, martial arts tribe. And that basically means no man is ever successful by himself. You get here from your journey and the journey of the other men and the trials and the triumphs that they go through in, the, in and of themselves. And so I'm just here ready to serve, ready to help men all around the world. I love it. And you've, you've done so much of that. And it was so obvious during this event, you know, as you were roughly 30 men there and you could see some of them come in very broken. Oh, yeah. And, you know, through the process and through all your, your amazing teaching and the, the different physical activities that we did, you know, that you could see the possibility light back up in their eyes. And I, I can't even imagine when they went home and how they embraced their wives or spouses or yeah. whatever, or their kids or just how they just had a whole new outlook on life. And it's all because of the amazing work you've done and, and tribe and all that. So I can't thank you enough. And I know they'd say the same. Oh, thank you. I mean, that's what it's all about right there, right? You were there, um, you know, yeah. lending your time and all of that. I mean, you were doing it. That's, that's what it's about, you know, and that's the payment. Because in some of these programs, you know, you don't really make money. It's just simply a matter of changing lives and developing relationships. And that's the heart of all that we do. You know, knowing that these guys are going back and the testimonies are already coming in. You've probably heard some of them. Oh, yeah. You know, it's my life will never be the same. I'm now awake as a man. You know, I didn't know what it was like to be loved like that and, and face, you know, my own demons like that and to fight for what I believe in. And so... Yeah, when they go home, they're different men to embrace their wives and their children to face that day differently. You know, with the promise of being successful, yep. more than just money, you know, to have a real purpose. That's the idea. No, and, and it definitely delivered on that this weekend. It was crazy to see it happen. And, you know, the, the amazing part is is so often in our masculine journey, you know, in our journey as men through through life, we feel like we have to be you know, stoic and just kind of hold all of our shit in, yeah. you know, and not show that we're, we, we're, we're weak or we just want to be hurt or even want to cry. I mean, God forbid you do that in front of people, right? You always have to have, just be strong. And this event was so powerful because so many of the men that I talked to had never shown 
emotion mm. in front of another human being before, which I think is crazy. Mm. But it's it, this is the, what, what we're taught, right? As young men, we're taught to, I remember going to funerals and sitting there in this, the corner, just holding everything I could so I didn't cry because as a man, you don't show weakness. And I'm sitting here like, when was that ever a rule? You know what I mean? It's like, and where does that go? That energy has to go somewhere. Where does it go if you don't let it out? So it was so powerful to see uh, have a safe space for these men to be able to open up and to share the demons that are that have been you know plagued them for years and all of these saboteurs as you call them and that kind of stuff. So it was it was incredibly powerful that way. It is, it is, <clears throat> and it's this fantastic uh, contrast uh, because we it's it's uniquely masculine and it's a man event. Uh, we use boxing as a metaphor. People aren't just sitting around listening to a speaker. They're up and they're. They're talking about things like dangerousness and hitting and defending your family. And, and they're doing these boxing exercises. But at the same time, we say, hey, you've got to be vulnerable. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is when we become vulnerable with each other, we become invulnerable together. And so we get into the deepest, darkest corners of a man's heart. And whatever has wounded him, going all the way back when he was a little boy and the accusations that he wasn't enough. And to become vulnerable like that with a group of men for them to cry and just weep and, and then on each other's shoulders and for us to be there and look them in the face and say, it's going to be all right. It's going to be better than all right. We're going to show you how to rebuild yourself and go forward, man. I mean, you know, I can't imagine anything that's more powerful than that. I couldn't agree more. And, and to, to, to say it's one thing, but to, to experience it for, you know, in reality, it's a whole nother level, you know, it's, it's, it's so cool. And so let's go a little bit deeper into this thing we call the masculine journey. It's something that you introduced me to because I didn't know there was even this whole concept. So what is the masculine journey and why is it so important? Yeah. And you know, there's lots of on-ramps to that, to that interstate about the masculine journey, but at its core, the masculine journey is just a man basically asking himself the question, what does it mean to be a man? What is it to be a man? And what does it mean to be good at being a man? Now notice that's a different question than asking being a good man. Um, because, you know, that could be something different. Just being nice, for instance, could get you labeled a good man. But being good at being a man, that's a whole nother question. And that means that you have to look within and ask, you know, wh wh why am I a man? What's that all about? Why do I have denser bones and typically bigger muscles? Why does my brain compartmentalize and function the way it does? You know, it's more than just having a certain type of anatomy, right? It's the whole form and function of that. And so the manhood, the manhood journey is really all about just asking those questions and deciding, you know, how can I, uh, because, you know, I'm of the firm belief that we're created men on purpose. It's not an accident. It's not just some allele expression in our genetics. It's a real chosen path. It's a calling. So we ask men to ask themselves, what does it mean in your life to be good at being a man? No, it's, and that's, I guess to your, to your point, you know, we, we all as men think, are we, are we enough? That's right. You know, that's a constant uh, pattern in our minds where we're always then trying to prove it right through that's achievement it. and all that. And so uh, how do we get that kind of wiring? Like, why are we wired that way? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. We can take a spiritual approach and ask, okay, why did God make us this way? Or, you know, if you want to take a purely biological approach and say, you know, what was the difference between the, the Y and the X chromosome? Uh, and so then when you're born that way, and then what does that mean for the family you're born into, the society you're born into? What are the forms and the functions of a man? 
But we know without within society, without a doubt, men are the ones that are down in the trenches doing the work. They take the call to action when there's danger to defend the country, to defend the family. They're the ones building the infrastructure of the streets and the sewers and the skyscrapers. And uh, it's been a popularized thing these days to ask, you know, is it okay to be a man? And the answer to that is damn straight it is. It's better than okay. That without men, women couldn't be women. And so a part of what we're asking men to do is just to wake up, wake up and ask themselves, what does it mean to be good at being a man? To answer that question, because we really believe that every man struggles with a primary question, which is, do you have what it takes? And we're never told, you know, for instance, if someone says, hey, go be a man, you know, be a man about that. What does that even mean? Right. We don't know. Somehow it means, you know, dry it up. Stop crying, stop whimpering, and just get up and go doing stuff, go about doing stuff. Now, that's right in one way, in that we want to be strong so that we can keep going. But in another way, we've isolated ourselves from other men so that, you know, we don't have other brothers, you know, there with us, picking us up and helping define what it actually means to be a man or to be good at being a man. I can keep going, Joshua. I don't want to just keep talking here. I want to wait for your questions. But I don't know. Is that the direction you were hoping to go? Yeah, because it's, you know, when it comes to the masculine journey, we talk about masculine and feminine energy, you know, and how they're uh, they're not only uh, tied to being a male or a female, right? That, that both males can and females can have both. Could you talk a little bit about that energetic polarity and how we can see some... You know, some men have more feminine energy and some women have more masculine energy and how that how that plays out, because I think that's really fascinating. I always thought that, you know, masculine meant, you know, that only males could have it and feminine meant only females could have it. But I've learned along my journey here that that's not the case at all. So could you talk into that? Sure. Yeah. And that's a very interesting field when it comes to like energies or personalities. Oh, man, as a psychologist, you can do a deep dive in that forever. But at its very core, I mean, it's an expression of self and personality. So when we're defining men, we have to look at biology, number one, just having the body of a man and the genitalia of a man, let's say. But then also, what does it mean to have a role as a man? And that can look different in different cases and different scenarios. You can have, uh, and we'll just speak plainly here, uh, you can have men who is obvious. They're very masculine, deep voices, kind of gruff. Even the way they move is a little more lumbering, perhaps. And then you can get men that are a little further on, maybe in the feminine spectrum, if you can think of masculinity and feminine, femininity in a, in a line that you can move back and forth between the extremes to even right in the middle. And you can see some men are a little more flowy, a little more emotional, right? A little more creative, perhaps, in their personalities. And so masculinity and femininity um, isn't typically what we're talking about when we're talking about being good at being a man, because at its core, it means defining who you are and what you're doing with yourself. Um, and then understanding both your biological and relational role, meaning, okay, I'm a man. I can look. Yep. Check. There you go. I'm a man. And then who are you in your relationships? Right. And so let's yeah. say that you're a feminine man and you get married. Well, a part, or at least a little more feminine, let's say, a part of the goal of that person is to understand themselves, love themselves, right? And then be able to partner themselves with someone that they match with. We call that polarity, meaning that you have someone that you can fit in with and love really well. And so typically, a little more feminine man is going to want to be with a woman who is a little more masculine than, than feminine. 
that way that they can really match up and love each other well. Um, but within these spectrums, there's always a, a part of self-discovery that has to go on, which is, you know, the discovery of self and the conclusions about who you are. I say this a lot. Identity is the strongest force of human psychology. So that in an event like Undisputed Mastery, as you know, because you were just there, we had a plethora of different kind of guys there. You know, people who worked hard yeah. with their hands in constructions, entrepreneurs, um, professional corporate people, um, service providers like doctors and lawyers and pharmacists. We had dancers there, men who were dancers, men who, you know, yep. of all over the feminine masculine spectrum. And they all found commonality in just this. One of the ideas about being good at being a man is, is accepting your strength and loving yourself for who you are and being willing to go out there and understand what you believe in and stand up for it. Because it seems that we boil it down to this ideal of manhood. It means really in some form and fashion, fighting against tyranny. Now you think about what that means. I mean, the tyranny, the tyranny of what? Well, number one, the tyranny that says that somehow you're supposed to be ashamed about being a man, either a masculine man or a feminine man or a man anywhere in between. We want to get rid of shame in every shape and form so that you can discover who you are and discover, you know, how you can be the best version of yourself. Oh, I love that. And you, you, you hit on the, the identity part. Could you go a little bit deeper on, you know, you mentioned that that's one of the core fundamentals as a human that you will follow your, you know, to the ends of the earth, who you think you are, how is that, you know, created, you know, and that's something that I learned along the journey as well. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like who creates that? Who told me I'm supposed to be that way? Um, but could you go a little deeper into the identity part? Cause it's such a huge piece. Oh, we could dive deep on that too. Um, identity. And these are great questions. You're, you're stretching me here a little bit as a psychologist. <laughs> uh, so the identity part, I mean, you know, it's individualistic, but yet there's patterns and design to that. And, uh, I don't know if this is where you were going with that, but we could go all the way back to the very beginning within the theology of man and woman. Is it okay if I go there? Please. No, excellent. This is my take on it. Please take this with a grain of salt for, for all of your, your listeners out there, this is my viewpoint, um, is that the, the scriptures say that God is neither male nor, nor female, but he's spirit. But you think about that. And if you look at that, what does that mean? It means that somehow God split himself in half in the Garden of Eden. And he created maleness, masculinity, if you will, and femaleness or femininity, if you will. And they're both expressions of him. And the scriptures say that when we go to heaven, we will be one like him. And so there's this division. And within that division, anytime you divide something, there's always a longing for unity, for those things to be unified. And that's a part of the, when we say masculinity, really, what does masculinity long for more than almost anything else? And it's to be reunited with the feminine version of himself. The scriptures also say that God has created and put uh, eternity in our hearts. And what that means is, I believe, is that we're always seeking God. We're seeking truth. We're always journeying, trying to find truth and trying to find what it's all about. Seeking, you know, an end to suffering, seeking an, an end to curiosity, always building, always growing. All you have to do is look at the technical landscape and see how curious and innovative people are. That's a part of that eternity that God put in our hearts. So when it comes to male and female, if we can consider that theological perspective that God separated, kind of split himself in two and put him in the garden. The first man, Adam, was in the garden. He put him through this exploratory process of discovery because God wanted him to discover it for himself, which was 
he's not complete. He needed something else, something more. So he first created man, and then he made his piece de resistance, right? The masterpiece that he created in woman. You know, all glorif mm -hmm. glorified, right? Personified of beauty, that feminine part of God. And all you have to do is see a young man look at a beautiful woman, and you can see that that's true. How his eyes light up. I mean, women are so beautiful. And men have been seeking and pursuing women ever since. And so we were split in the garden and we seek to come together. Even looking at uh, human anatomy, all you have to do is look and see how well we fit together like a puzzle piece to know that when we're together, we become one. And so the application of that is in relationship. That's the best way to discover the self and the identity of what it means to be man and what it means to be woman. So that then the identity comes together and forms one unit. And that's one of the great things about relationship that it does is it really helps you discover yourself. Because we always say, you know, if you want to attract the right woman or if you want to attract the right man, first be the best version of yourself that you can be. And then when you get together and you draw that person, you attract that person, life is just so beautiful together. I don't know. Was that what you were thinking about? <laughs> I hope that was all right. No, it was, it was amazing. I'm just sitting here enjoying the, <laughs> hearing you talk and, and explain it. I think it was done in a very beautiful way. And, uh, you know, it's, it's so crazy because nowadays you hear people, you know, there's this whole concept of toxic masculinity, right? Oh. You have the, the, the jock that's just like nasty over the top, like yelling, that kind of thing, like that toxicness. And I think that masculinity has gotten a bad rap for that. Yeah. Could you speak into how society uses that to kind of make masculinity a bad thing? Yeah, for sure. And it, all of that stuff is a reaction, right? And you can take several premises about this, but, you know, anytime that you sensationalize something and people jump on a bandwagon, it becomes a matter of virtue and shame. And you can no more say toxic masculinity without also saying toxic femininity, uh, because they're both there. And it just seems to be in different forms and functions. I mean, you don't think that women can be violent. You don't think that women can be abusive. Oh, believe me, as a clinical psychologist, I've seen the vehemence of women and how terrible it'll be. I mean, just consider this old saying, hell hath no wrath like a woman's scorn, right? We've all heard that. Mm. And so we have to really check ourselves and our reactions to a phrase as powerful as toxic masculinity. I can tell you, I have a, an 18-year-old son who has come up through high school. He's now a freshman in college. And it's just amazing how he, in the world of academia, somehow it's bad to be a man. And anytime we're shaming people for something that they can't help, something they were just born with, like their gender, their, their sexuality. I mean, I mean, where does that come from? You know, that's part of the expression. That's bullshit from the beginning. And so if we can get rid of the phrase and everything that that is toxic masculinity, then we can get down to the heart of what some of the real issues are. And I think a lot of the issues are that when a young man is not taught the, to embrace manness, if you will, and what it means to be a male, what it means to be masculine and, and how to be mentored, to be good at being a man, then he's got to figure out, figure it out on his own. And you look, can look within this country for the public school systems, right? Um, and the divorce rate and all of those things, most young men will only be exposed to women. I mean, uh, I think the statistic is something like 80 to 85% of all teachers in, in school and in public schools are women. 
Um, and so that means that also in the divorce rate with single mothers going out there doing their best to raise a young man. I mean, bless their hearts for that, man. I mean, thank the Lord for strong single mothers. But still, we have to look and see what that means. Right. That means that if, if even 50 percent, and I think the number of that is higher, that you can look within the inner, inner cities, most young men are raised with single mothers. And so that means that you get your 80 percent exposure to school and the 50 percent, at least at home. Most young men will almost never have a strong male role model. So what are they supposed to do with mm. the testosterone? What are they supposed to do with these bones and these muscles? What are they supposed to do with this way and compartmentalized thing that our brain does when testosterone affects the way that that person thinks? What are they supposed to do with their protective instincts? Well, we know that a young man who doesn't learn how to use that strength, it's really easy for that strength to go wrong because we all must be mentored, right? Even young ladies must be mentored. And when a man's strength isn't utilized, it'll either go passive which means he'll turn inward and he'll apply his strength and his maleness against himself. And you can see substance abuse and drugs and, you know, isolation and so many things about that. Or his strength will turn bad and it'll become abusive. It's basically the same form, but it goes outward where he begins to use, abuse other people and find ways to just, you know, get that call to adventure like crime or violence even. Uh, and so the, since most crime, about 90 to 99% of all crime is committed by men, at least violent crime, we should say, it's easy to coin a phrase like toxic masculinity, but it is not a useful phrase at all because it doesn't get to the heart of what's really going on. It just simply seems to shame people with no solution. Wow. Yeah. That's, <laughs> there's a lot in there for sure. And yeah. that, that's amazing. You mentioned mentor in there, especially, I mean, men and women, they need to have role models in their life, people that they can aspire to be like and to emulate and all that. Um, how, how powerful is it to have as a young man? I mean, I, I kind of know the answer, but I'd love you to speak into it a little bit of having that strong role model in your life and to, to, to put you in your, in, in the right order and say like, that's wrong. That's not right to manhandle you if needed, you know, that kind of thing. How does that affect the male, the masculine journey to have that strong masculine figure? Oh man, you said it right there, Joshua. I mean, that's it, man. And that's one of the things for all of you guys watching or listening to this, this man right here is a fantastic father. I know firsthand. He is fantastic. And so to get there in the, you know, one of the things that children desire more than anything, whether it's boy or girl, they desire your undivided attention. Little girls want to twirl in front of their fathers and to know that they're beautiful and that you love them enough to really, really pour into them. Young men, little boys, they want the same thing, right? And then for you to have a, a set of principles, kind of like a, a, a night's journey to teach these young boys the, the stages in stages of development, who that they can be is really, really important because the, the idea of mentorship isn't just to, you know, develop a relationship and have fun together. You know, that, that can be a very important part of it. If you can look like going back to the Jungian stages and archetypical ideas of male development, man, you, you have a child. Remember, remember we just went through these, you have a, yeah. a, a squire or a page, right? And which is really an apprentice. And then, you know, that becomes a knight, right? Which is kind of, you know, this, this warrior type persona, or that could also be the prince. And then that person becomes the king, which is they have their own family and kind of, they, they rule their own kingdom. And a good kings always become great sages, 
you know, these wise elders that you can depend on. And then when you live a great life and you build a legacy, you get to pass away, leaving all of the beautiful gifts and deeds you've done. And then you get to be a legend, which is an example of how life is supposed to be. Uh, there's a great book written by a, a mentor of mine from Little Rock, Arkansas, a guy named Robert Lewis. He wrote a book called Raising a Modern Day Knight. One of my favorite books I got back in the 90s that's been just paramount with me and how I coach and how I even raise my own son. And it's the idea that you need to make sure that you look at these stages of development and that you really define what it means to teach them and to create milestones that they must learn competencies and actually earn the right to go to the next level. Because what happens if, if they don't is kind of like having a bad king. I mean, we've all heard stories or maybe even known people who got inheritances or, you know, some prince that, you know, their father died and they became the king and then they became tyrants. They became terrible people with no real skill, no, no real virtue or principles that did terrible things. And that's one of the plagues in our modern society today is people have access to so much, so much wealth, so much information, so much knowledge and things that, but they don't know how to use it. They don't know how to regulate. And so mentoring, especially a good type of mentoring where there's real things that matter that people can earn is really important. Now, uh, stepping aside from any controversy, you know, there have been organizations of the past that has tried to do that. The Boy Scouts, the Cub Scouts, right? There's some things like that. You can get great sports organizations like football. My son played football, and I can tell you, those were some outstanding coaches that made an amazing difference in his life. Those coaches at Harding Academy here in Arkansas, man, they were fantastic. I love them to death. And so it's exposure to that real masculinity. Basically what we say, doing real men things, real man stuff, right? That makes all the difference. But remember, this stuff has got to be hard so that they can learn how to be resilient and push past discomfort. You can study martial arts. That's another great way to do that. Uh, doing jujitsu, doing an art like Kali. And I came up doing uh, Tong Soo Do with um, you know, my instructor and then Kali with some other instructors, man. There's some great, great, great lessons there. I love that. And it's it's... Yeah, I, I love the the uh, you know as you as you move through that and there's this that whole concept of going from child to legend and that progression and I can see it in my young boys you know they're they're 13 and 15 now and I can see I'm like almost pegging like okay Oliver's just about into warrior you know like getting into to the to the apprentice side of things I can see him shifting now because he's now taking a different role in life but having that pattern that's that's part of the masculine journey in the back of your mind you're kind of watching and making sure they're moving through and I love what you said at the event uh, it's either you or Harley mentioned it at the event where at each one of those transitions that there's a rite of passage that's right right could you speak a little bit more into that concept of rite of passage mm -hmm. between those different archetypes Sure. Yeah. And so a rite of passage is at the point where the skill or the competency has been achieved. And if you can think of, let's say, a Native American tribe, for instance, you know, a boy would have a rite of passage of a hunt. Or if you've ever seen the movie 300, you know, Leonidas had the rite of passage that he had to go out and kill the giant wolf. Right. These rite of passages are only after the apprentice stage in between that stage of development, let's say in, in, in between each stage of development is a, a, a whole host of competencies that must be learned. So when they've gotten to a certain point, you want to punctuate those like an anchor of an event that they can look back and say that they're proud of. 
And that is a metaphor for their achievement. And it's something kind of like Napoleon putting, you know, medals on his soldiers. It's something they can look at, be proud of, and that can anchor them into a new identity. I now am a knight. I mean, think about that. And then anytime that there's any argument about who they are, they can look back at all their great accomplishments and deeds and skill sets and training that can say, no, I really am a knight. I did all that hard stuff back there. What are you talking about? I've earned this. And then when they can perform at that certain level with things that you can teach them to do, whether it's camping skills, you know, knowing how to light a fire or martial arts skills, or it could be a plethora of a whole bunch of stuff, putting a computer together. I mean, it can be all kinds of things, but developing that into something they really have to earn, not just a merit, not just some kind of celebration, but a real demonstration of skill set. That's what seems to matter most. It's so interesting to to hear it that way and think about how society is already kind of wired, uh, maybe not correctly, but has wired that with like graduating high school as one, you know, rite of passage or graduating college or getting married or like all yeah, these right. kind of baked into society already. I find it really fascinating, those rites of passage. And, and uh, speaking what of happens that real quick, if, Joshua, it, those are big yeah. rites of passage, passages and they're important, but we've washed away everything that they were supposed to mean, right? I mean, graduating yeah. college, okay, yeah, you got your degree, but marriage? Most people spend more money on the wedding than they ever will in learning how to be a good spouse, be a good husband or wife. Yeah. And so now it just becomes a celebration instead of a real meaningful ceremony. And so what I hope to see in a part of what Undisputed Mastery, the Becoming Champions event does is teaches men, hey, you want to build competency because real confidence as a person comes from having the competency, the real abilities to back it up. Wow. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> right. On, I love that. So um, you mentioned, you know, the archetypes going from child to squire and, and up through to, uh, you know, the different levels. What happens when a child ends up skipping one of those levels because of some kind of tragedy in their family or some kind of life circumstance? What happens then if they don't move through in a very generic way, if you will, or, or expected way? Yeah. And that happens all the time, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. You'll have, you know, um, a family where the, let's say the mother passes away tragically. We'll just use kind of that example. And then like the daughters have to step up and be the surrogate mother. Yeah. There's a lot of times that that happens and uh, they can miss some stages of development and that doesn't guarantee dysfunction. But what typically winds up happening is they grow up too fast. And those are the people that begin to look for a way out so that they can feel special so that they can go and be loved in a way that they're not being loved now. And that's really the core of what all of this is. It's people's desire to be loved and to be accepted. And so what happens is they'll typically, they'll go out and they'll find a way to get love. Let's say from a young man, they become, become promiscuous early, maybe even pregnant or sexually active and get a sexually transmitted disease. And then that changes the entire course of their young life. And the, the results of that is someone who has never experienced the idea of really true self-discovery and self-expression. And then that shows up in society by people who, you know, are miserable and depressed. We have all these clinical diagnoses and a plethora of pharmaceutical answers to that, right? That just help people numb themselves and never have a chance of real fulfillment. And it's, it's really a sad commentary of modern day life. For sure. You know, there's always this, this constant march forward with technology to solve problems, but some of these problems are pretty basic That's if right. we think about them and actually bring them down to their core. 
Yeah, yeah. And That's there, amazing. There could so, be all kinds of other um, examples of that. For instance, like a, a young mm-hmm. man who doesn't get mentored, he can get stuck in between the page and the night stage, or even between the child and the page stage. Uh, you guys ever seen these man boys, you know, dress like boys, but they're as big yep. as men. They act like boys. They always want to party. They never grow up. They never get responsibility. They know, never know how to treat a woman properly and respectfully. You know, they never learn how to shake a hand properly. They just dwell in basements. I mean, that's just a sh- sure sign symptom right there of someone who wasn't mentored properly. They never had to go through those challenges and face themselves, you know, and face the idea of responsibility and what it means to be in society and to be a productive member. Um, because when you miss those stages, what you do is you focus on self because there's something missing and you just can't figure it out. And so then you try to self-soothe with things and, and you indulge, overindulge yourself in things. And unfortunately, that just makes the problem worse. Yeah, it's certainly not a solution when you turn to end up with addictions and all those other things to self-soothe, as you said. And yeah. that, that tends to be the the catalyst, you know, when things just start to go downhill, because those things are never in, in a positive note, you know, <laughs> That's right. they never lead to a positive ending. That's absolutely right. You mentioned earlier about, you know, about balance. You know, one thing you've taught me, and, and thank you for the... Um, uh, for the call out on, on being a great father. And I, when I met you and we did the last UM, that was one of my big struggles. Yes, sir. It was really a big struggle. You've helped me come 360 on that. And, you know, to the listeners out there without this man's tutelage through this, I'd probably still be the same man that I was a year and a half ago before I went to the first event and focusing on myself and then just cloaking it in the fact that I was doing it all for my family. And the reality was that I was doing it for me and I was using that as an excuse. And I would be with my family, but I'd be physically there, but I would not be mentally present. I'd be somewhere else. I'd be thinking about the next project or the next achievement or something. And my kids would suffer without my attention. They didn't feel it. You, if you asked them, they probably wouldn't know it, but I knew it in my heart that I was not being true as a father and showing up. So what I would love you to talk into is, is this concept of how you can balance, you know, business and family here, because it's, it was a heck of a struggle for me, or what are some of the signs that you're, that aren't as obvious for when you're way too focused on self and business and not as much in your family? Cause the last thing I want to die with Keith is regret. Yeah. And right. the, if, if you're still young enough to catch it, it could change the whole trajectory of your life. Like it's done for me. Yeah. Yeah. And first, let me say you have just done out, done outstanding brother. I mean, I'm so proud of Thank you. Thank you with the way that you Thank look you. and you see and you go and you make changes. You, you are outstanding. Um, to answer that question, the first premise I like to teach about this is nothing is free. You know, in the real adult world, not in the matrix, not in Neverland, we have to realize nothing's free. Everything is a trade. And in the concept of trying to, let's say, trade time for money, if you will, there's not any amount of money that can buy even one second of your time. Meaning that if you understand, let's say that, you know, Lord forbid, but one of your children was in a terrible accident and they were about to die. I mean, let me ask you, how much money would you give to even get just even another day with them? Everything. Everything. I mean, the answer is all, all the money. Uh, And so we can see that every second of time is precious. And so even if it's just time, even if we can just reduce trades to time, we understand, wow, we've got to take every second serious. Make it sacred. And so then if we understand that, then we've got to create a list of principles and priorities. Asking ourselves, what kind of person do I want to be? If I can see my life as a storyline, like I'm watching a movie, what do I want the movie to be about? What do I want my life to be about? Do I want to 
be the guy that just worked all the time and missed all the milestones with my kids? Do I want to be the guy that even when he's with his family, that, you know, anytime my phone flashes, I'm, I'm down and I miss on average 11 minutes from a one second look at your phone, because that's how long it takes to get refocused on something else. Do I want to be that guy? And if the answer is no, then you have to be directly honest with yourself about the trades that you're making and come to grips as a real man. This is one of the things we teach that men must do is realize nothing's free. You can't go and just take for stuff. That's what kids do. They expect for other people just to give them stuff. Men get the idea that we must step up as an asset, as someone who provides, as someone who can take care of things, and especially ourselves. And so in any moment, I have to have my priority and understand what's the most important. So when we talk about this thing of work-life balance, let's say, it's simply a matter of knowing my priorities and understanding what a good trade is. Because a great life is one at the end of your day where you can look back and go, oh, yeah, that was great. That was a great day. And we know it was a great day because within my time blocks, I did what I needed to do. And I did it really, really well including having boundaries, an absolute cutoff time, because I'm man enough, I'm gutsy enough, I'm ballsy enough to say no to whatever it may mean when the phone rings or when that report is due, to do my job ahead of time enough that when it comes, I can hold the boundaries and have the integrity to say no. Because a life well lived is one where you said no to almost everything. So that the few precious yeses you said yes to very, very, very well. I get that from one of my favorite quotes from Warren Buffett, which is the most successful people in the world say no to almost everything because successful people, really successful people, ones who have great lives, understand the value of priorities and having boundaries and having the courage and the strength enough to say no. And so you have this idea of balance then is making that trade in that moment and saying nothing is worth this focused time, this present time where I'm going to be present with my family. So whether it's your wife or your daughter, or your son, you're there, and they've captured every bit of you. Even if it is just a 15-minute time block, you do it super well, instead of fooling yourself and lying to yourself, thinking you can multitask in that moment. Yeah, I think the struggle for, I know for myself, I'd speak from my own experience here, is this fact of, of deep down as a man, I'm a provider and a protector, right? So yeah. if those are my two jobs and they supersede everything else and the family is just, you know, I'm just there to protect them, not necessarily be with them, uh, you know, present wise, because I can be like, well, provider could mean that I'm constantly running my business in the background and, you know, I can justify stealing time from them, my presence with them, because I'm doing my more ultimate job with the provider. But you know, you've helped me realize that that's bullshit, complete bullshit. And it's, <laughs> it's really you. a matter, matter of focusing on that priority. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, no, isn't it something been, how we just lie yeah. to ourselves, man? You think about what possesses us. What is it we think we're really doing? I mean, we're not fooling anybody, right? You know, and so yeah. when it comes down to even the grandiose things like, oh, I've got to do this. It would be so awesome, so glorious. Yeah, but at the same time, we have to consider something we call second and third order effects, which is like a domino. Okay, who else is this going to affect? How else is it going to affect them? This isn't all about me. And that's another manhood lesson that we always teach is it's not all about you. In fact, relationships, first and foremost, are a place to give, even above receiving. So we have to realize, man, we're given this strength and these muscles and these bones and this thoughts, not just for our own sakes. We're given this also to be a powerful, good force in life. 
if you want to talk about an antidote to this thing that some people call toxic masculinity, it's that. Men understanding who they are, loving being a man, and then being able to utilize it in a powerful and positive way, which includes sticking to your priorities and your principles. We have a, an, a, another event called Principled Savage, which you're very familiar with, you've been to. And oh, it's yeah. where basically the tagline is learning AQ, adaptability quotient, learning how to make decisions like a Navy SEAL is the idea. We put people through an integrative combatives course where they shoot and they do knife work and they go from empty hands to knife to, to firearms, all underneath this huge pressure. You've been there, man, and you did so good. Oh, yeah. Um, and the lesson that we teach people there is this idea that, hey, listen, you've got to step up and develop competencies. Because in that moment, right, in that moment as a man, we have to be able to deliver. And men who have the, capa the ca capability of delivering, who have the ability to have a good endeavor in their life, meaning that they feel like they're the master of something, they're super good at something, whether it's sculpting or computer work or writing or speaking or whatever it may be, being a businessman, that's really one of the pathways to fulfillment. But then the other one is being able to say no to your mastery so that I can spend time in relationships with family and having the strength and the capabilities to do that. Yeah, the, the, yeah Principled Savage was an absolute crazy event where I learned so much about <laughs> being under pressure. And, you know, I was it's completely foreign to me to be, you know, one minute fighting often, you know, somebody coming at me and the next minute to be grabbing a knife and, and defending myself and then jumping into a, you know, a pistol and and moving through a course and all of that. And that was it. it Thank you guys do it in such a beautiful way because it's the reps, right? It's the constant yeah. moving through those slow reps in order to build up that rep. And pretty soon it becomes much more um, proficient and eventually it's smooth. And it's, that was one heck of a weekend. I'll tell you, that was, that was a lot of fun. I know Ace and I learned a lot. I hope you and, share some uh, of those videos. We were, you we were like John Wick, man. You did so well. That was, <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was fun. Now, Keith, before I, I let you go, I wanted to jump into a topic. We don't have to go too deep into this, but I wanted to introduce it to the listeners. It's something that you teach and it's been absolutely so powerful to watch in this last weekend's event at UM to see this concept of saboteurs and sages and uh, what that means, like what it even is and how they're affecting uh, your happiness on a daily moment by moment basis. Could you dig in there? Not too deep, but just give us kind of a, a 35,000 foot view of what these things are. Sure. Yeah. And this is an old idea going way back when, and there's a guy named Dr. Sherzad who wrote a book called Positive Intelligence. It's really popularized. You can dig into that. The man's brilliant who goes into this old concept and he does really, really a great job, I think. Uh, but we use it in such a way that there's basically a bifurcation inside each person. You've got like the angel on your shoulder and then the devil on the old, other shoulder, just like the old cartoons. And these are internal forces vying and battling for your attention. It's like the old story of the Native American chief who his grandson came to and said, you were this powerful, you're this powerful, wise chief. How'd you get so powerful and wise? He said, there's a good wolf and there's an evil wolf. And they're always battling. And they brave, the young man says, well, who wins? And the chief says, the one that you feed the most. And so we have to understand this concept that the sage or the saboteur the good force within us with the good voice that encourages us and tells us you can do it and find a pathway, you can make it happen, or the voice that says you don't have what it takes, constantly accusing us of not being enough, gets us to blame ourselves and blame other people and focus on the negative. The force within us that wins is the one that we feed the most. 
And how we feed them is becoming the feeder of our lives, understanding that we alone are responsible for this. A big milestone of growing up is when we stop blaming our parents for anything that happened to us in childhood, and we are determined to move forward in life. And we can do this by capturing our thoughts, like Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 talks about in the Bible, making sure that we get up and we do our rituals in the morning and the evening, exercising, eating right, developing core competencies that we can be proud of, being around other people who are like-minded. Proximity is power. Oh, so powerful. And that's one of the greatest offerings of Undisputed Mastery to get around other powerful, super successful millionaires who want more in their life than, than just money. They want positivity. They want competency. They want purpose. They want tribe. And so those are the ways that you feed the sages. Now it's that, that, that contrast, if you will, that devil and angel on the shoulder has been so profound in my, in my development because, you know, that we all have at, you know, multiple saboteurs as I'm learning, right? That's, that's those negative voices in your head. The one that, you know, when you're going to do something and you're like, why, why can't I do it? It's, it's like, you know, like that voice kicks in your head. Like, you can't do that. You're going to fail at that. Like, don't get close to the edge. You're scared of heights. Like you know, it's, it's that little voice that's constantly in there. And, and so many of us, you know, if, if we would never be friends with that voice in our head, the one that's always knocking us down. Right. And I, I once I realized that I'm like, wait a minute, I have a choice in what that is and I can stop that <laughs> and I, or not necessarily stop it, but I can at least be aware of that. It's not me speaking. Yeah. I know this might sound crazy to listeners. It's not actually me speaking. It's a saboteur. And if I fed the sage, the one that says, you got this, you're going to learn. Don't worry. Next time you'll be better. You feed that one more, you know, all of a sudden things become more positive. You, you take bigger risk or you do something you were always scared of because in your head you couldn't do it, but you really could, you just fed the wrong wolf. That's right. So, you know, it's, it's so crazy, but it is so powerful once you start realizing that your brain isn't your friend at times, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's playing with you and it's, it's, I guess, because it's, it's overall function is to keep you alive. That's right. Right. To to procreate and move your genetics forward. So the safer you are, the more you stay away from the edge of that cliff or don't take chances or risks, the better chance that happens. So deep down, we're wired that way. But, you know, that's that's not fun. Like it's not it's not going to get you where you want to go, I guess, is my bigger point. But that is just such an interesting concept. Yeah. And well said, you've you've got a great handle on it, Joshua, you really do. And that's the idea. Right. It's just for us to realize, wait a minute. I want to externalize, and this is just a, an externalization of these of these things, so that I can go, wait a minute, who's talking to me right now? Ah, uh, this is the saboteur. Yeah. I know what you're up to. Nope, you're not getting me this time. You take a deep breath, you lower your shoulders, and just like Tony Robbins teaches us, right, we change our state, we change our focus, we change our life. And in that moment, we go, now, what would it mean to listen to the sage right now? Ah, uh, okay. Take a breath and walk away. It'd be something simple. Don't respond to a text right away that you're going to regret or maybe you know go out there and personify take it to the next level and that's one of the things we do in undisputed masteries we help you develop a champion identity like with me it's veritas and so i get to say what would veritas do what what would that be uh veritas would do this or with my wife i like the personification of zorro the latin lover right because when i'm zorro (laughs) i can show up and go oh baby come on tell me what's going on instead of you know having to be you know listen to the saboteur because my saboteur version of that is the commando the guy who's cold-hearted and stonewalls and just wants his way i don't want to be that guy that guy's an asshole right i want to be zorro with my wife the lover the one that sees beauty in her and i can manifest that in a moment with just this simple concept of saboteurs and sages. I love that. I love that during that uh, UM that the 
each participant, you know, is uh, they, they go through a process where they kind of bring out their main saboteur. And for me, it was Captain Bullshit. Yeah. Right. I was bullshitting myself when I was, you know, thinking that I was a good father and all this kind of stuff. And I was I was bullshitting myself and I was really lying, you know, and saying that I, I, I should have been I could have been much more. I could be much more present and all that. But I was like, but, well, I'm just too important for that. I got too many things going on. I'm just it doesn't you know, it doesn't make sense. So Captain Bullshit was my saboteur. And then the sage that was assigned to me by the the tribe because they they watch what's going on. And, and then they help each other come up with a, a an empowering name for this person who doesn't do that anymore. And it was the ultimate warrior. Yeah, you know, yeah. that puts his family first. Right. And all of a sudden it's, it's, it's different. So when I show up to something and I'm, I'm in some kind of a conflict, uh, you know, I'm conflicted inside, I guess, a better way to say that I'll think, okay, what would the ultimate warrior do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Simple. Right. And then all of a sudden you're coming from a different, if I went to the captain bullshit side where I was back where I was before, of course I know what I'd do. I'd go into just put my head down and working a bunch more and just acting like it's for them. And it's not for them. You know, I'm stealing from them. And this is my way of doing that, stealing time from them. Um, but then flipping it and saying, what would the ultimate warrior do? Well, the ultimate warrior, you know, if he's a fantastic father that puts his family first, well, it sounds like my priorities are very clear. If there's an opportunity to do this or spend time with my family, guess who wins? Yeah. That's so right. it makes decision-making so much easier it too. Does. So <laughs> that's crazy. It does. So crazy. Well, Keith, I know that you're also part of, uh, an incredible, um, you know, charity that works to help. Um, you know, it's called ORC. Uh, I want to kind of let you unpack that because it's such a powerful thing. We got to see some of the operational work this weekend and, and for some of the operators that are actually going in and, and, and doing this, this, this incredible work. So could you talk a little bit about, about ORC, what it is, who it serves and how people can get involved if it, if it, if it's something that's on their heart, like it is for me, it's yeah, go ahead. Oh, thank you brother for the opportunity. Yeah. ORC stands for Operation Rescue Children. And we're an organization that seeks to empower teams all around the world who are already in place stopping human trafficking. And human trafficking is just a fancy phrase for people taking children slaves and having sex with them. I mean, it's happening all over the world. When I discovered that there were more slaves in the world today than ever before, I mean, Joshua, when I heard that statistic, I was like, no way. I thought we got rid of slavery 150 years ago. But we don't, man. Yep. I mean, it's sex slaves, it's indentured labored workers, it's people being, you know, kidnapped and stolen to have their organs harvested. I mean, it is just darkness and evil. And, and just imagine, I mean, you've got kids, it's little girls mostly, but it's Absolutely. also little boys. It's women also, uh, and sometimes men who are forced, like they say, by the cartel to be their, their soldiers, their pimps, if you will. Uh, man, it's just, it's happening all over the world and it's growing right here in the United States. And so when we saw this problem, um, you know, I began this concept and I connected with my good friend and martial art instructor, Harley Omar and his wife, Crystal, my wife, Adrienne, and I said, we got to do something. And so together we formulated this team and now we have our full uh, nonprofit status and uh, we train the real heroes who go out there and save children. I mean, you saw this weekend, we can't talk a lot about a lot of detail operationally, um, but I mean, you know, you're pulling babies out of the river, you know, we're breaking open doors and seeing little girls who have been raped and sodomized over and over, um, you know, and we have these people coming across the border who are just trying to find a better way for themselves. But, you know, the cartel basically promises them everything and separates the children from the mothers, separates the men from the women, and they use them as human inventory. And so we're helping 
uh, law enforcement agencies were training them uh, on the border. We use ex-veterans uh, to help us do the training, so we give them a fantastic work to do. And we help also non-government agencies, NGOs, like missionaries who have teams around the world intervening and breaking up trafficking rings because it's become very, very sophisticated. And so when we help a team, basically what we're doing is we're 10Xing the effort. Uh, and we have no competition, meaning that no one else is really doing what we're doing. So if there's a team in place out there doing work to stop human trafficking, we're going to help them. And we do it all 100% for free. Believe it or not, even some of the top law enforcement agencies in this country have to choose because of their funding has been cut so much. And they have to choose between, like, let's say, a bulletproof vest and training. And so um, we have innovated uh, all of their training. In fact, uh, the guy that is my partner, Harley Elmore, is so good. He's trained the top military teams, the tier one teams in the world. And I challenge everybody to look up who tier one is. It's only a couple teams out of all the awesome military teams in the world. He's trained the best of the best of the best. And his training has innovated what these law enforcement agencies are doing, how they stop cars, how they do uh, vehicle interdiction, how they get in there and save people. It's amazing. Because these heroes, once they're trained now, they get to go back home safely. And then we get to train more, and then they develop a culture, and they train more and more and more. And so we're doing really fantastic work. And we're looking to expand uh, to have people who can do searches on internets to help find victims, to help crack down on you know, illegal rings. For instance, the Super Bowl was coming up in less than a month. You know, it's the number one sex trafficking event in the world, right here in the United States. You get people who have a bunch of little girls on average age, nine to 11 years old, and they move them from hotel to hotel, from city to city. And then these people we call Johns come in there and just have their way with them for money. And once the event is over, they just move them to another place. It's happening right underneath our noses. And the thing is, is it's not just poor people or foreign people. It's people right here, high SES people, kids being stolen from malls. I mean, just imagine if this was your kid. I mean, we had to do something. No, and I, I'm so, so amazed, not, not amazed, not the right word, just so happy you did, because I never realized it was a problem. I always thought that happened somewhere else, at the border, another foreign country. And when I was talking to the operators that we met with, you know, they were showing pictures of children that they liberated, you know, out of these, these conditions, and they were local. Yep. You know, and they're saying like when they said about these big sporting events or big events and also the fact that it happens in most communities and it just goes unspoken. Nobody wants to talk about it. That's right. And I can't even imagine having two young boys and having that be their their story. You know, we need men. And, and what really rocked me to my core was hearing that these 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 men in this case that were out freeing these these sex slaves, that they have very little support That's and right. that, they're you know, they have families, too. And to think that one would have to make a decision between whether they could or couldn't afford a bulletproof vest so they could protect themselves to go home to their own families is just unacceptable. You know, that they didn't have the training to be able to work with, uh, you know, other groups in order to make sure they can break more of these rings is unacceptable. This is something that should not exist in humanity and it needs to be eliminated immediately. And the only way we do that is proper awareness as you're doing and also the training. I mean, Harley's incredible. You know, Principal Savage, we got a little taste of that, right? Yeah. It was really quite amazing. I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. I am a dangerous man. This is pretty crazy. <laughs> but to take that and take people that are far further on their skill set and train them specifically in these kinds of things and give them the, the, uh, the, the ability 
to be safer, stronger, and more effective as, you know, as, as people out there solving this problem, it's, you know, it's, I'm like, I'm all in, let's do this, you know, because it is, it needs to be handled and eradicated from humanity. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Thank you for those words. Because it's true and it's hard to, it's, it's hard to talk about, but I ask people, you know, please check out our website, if I may. It's operationrescuechildren.org, operationrescuechildren.org. And uh, if if you could even just pass around the sense of awareness, because it starts just by realizing that this is a dark problem and it's happening in communities all underneath our noses right here in the U.S., not even just in big cities. They're targeting a lot of the smaller towns around uh, to, to capture kids and they're never seen from again. And so when they get on our website, Joshua, they can get on there and read a little bit about us, look at our videos. And if your heart is so moved, just if nothing else, pray. Join us in prayer so that our heroes that we train can go out and do their work and come back home safely. And you never know. It may be someone that you know or your very own child that they saved. Because you think about it. When is it that you're going to wish that you had prayed? Is it the moment when your child doesn't come home and you think, oh, my God, uh, they're gone? Or is it where you can do something, you can pray, maybe you can give now so that these people can do their jobs to break open that ring to stop this before they come back to your town? Because it's most likely they've already been to your town to keep them from coming back. Think about that. Well, that's, that's one way to end it here, <laughs> Keith. It's uh, the, the work you guys are doing is unbelievable. And to meet you know, the people involved and to, to know them personally. You know, I, I know in the past when I would, uh, I would give or to, you know, charities, that kind of thing, I'd always want to know the people. So I know that it's not like 98 cents on the dollars go into some corporate entity and 2% actually gets to the people. I know you guys personally, I know every penny goes directly to the cause That's right. and to see what's possible with that is absolutely fascinating. So, um, anybody out there that if this is, has moved them, you know, even a donation of $20 or a hundred dollars is something that helps it helps these men. It helps these, uh, you know, these these operators coming in to break this up. Because to your point, you know, it, it's too late when your kid's gone. If, right. if they can solve this problem way ahead of time by being much more uh, effective uh, at stopping it before it ever even happens. So, um, Keith, how else can people reach out to you if they're interested in in UM, you know, Undisputed Mastery or any of the other things that you offer? I know you have a lot going on. So what do you think is the best way for that? Yeah, they can uh, look at that website, uh, UndisputedMastery.com. Um, you can check that out or also my other website, Keith M. Wagoner, W-A-G-G-O-N-E-R, Keith, the letter M, Wagoner, W-A-G-G-O-N-E-R.com. Or send this guy a message and you could always get that to me. Absolutely. No, I'd be, I'd be uh, very happy to do that. Well, Keith, any other uh, little bits of nuggets or of knowledge or anything you want to drop on our audience before we wrap up? <laughs> oh man, there's so much. That You're I always full say. of good ideas. <laughs> I just want to say thank you. Thank you for having me. You are doing a great work in the world. I mean, you know, in the thousands and millions of people that are here that will hear your podcast. I mean, I'm so glad that you're doing well. I'm very proud of you, brother. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you, Keith. Thank you. And thank you for doing what you do. And uh, so guys out there listening, you know, hopefully you got as much as I did from this podcast. And Keith has been with me now for, like I said, about four years and it's changed everything. So if you think that you're at a stage in your life where you need to have 
you know, the, someone to guide you, to mentor you, um, you know, you either reach out to Keith, uh, if not find somebody, yeah. it, the main thing is in, in a lot of people will actually, if you go to them and say, look, I really want someone to help guide me. I need, you know, you, you, you're going where I want to go. Is there any way you can help me get there? And you'll be surprised by how many people who are truly successful would say, I will help you in any way I can. And they will help and guide you because that's how they got successful is the fact that they're willing to help and bring people with them and not just do it all for themselves. If they say, no, screw you, get out of here, then in my opinion, they aren't truly successful people because truly successful people contribute and grow other people. So thank you, Keith. It's been amazing as always. And uh, thank you for coming on. And anybody out there, I'm, I'm hoping that you got a lot from this and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>